Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you are having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is the co-founder and president of Leverage Brands. By training and training, he is an intellectual property attorney who helps Grammy Award-winning songwriters, producers, New York Times best-selling authors, and other creative professionals at the intersection between their business and their art. Leverage is the third company he founded. He started his own law firm in 2012. Then in 2016, he founded Kirkwood Business Management Incorporated, a tax strategy and preparation firm for creative professionals which he sold in 2019. So let's welcome Chase Neely. How are you doing today, Chase? Doing great, Victor. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. It's great to have you on, Chase. I'd like to get started by asking you to please share your story. How did you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? Well, I know it's cliche, Victor, but I'm one of those ones who was born this way. Uh, I was just thinking about the earliest entrepreneur entrepreneurial memory that I have, and it's in my dad's building supply company. He was the third generation of a building wholesaler in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And I remember running a lemonade stand out of his break room area uh, when I was about six or seven years old. And ever since then, I've had the itch to start businesses and help people. Uh, And I've been lucky to be able to do that in my professional career since law school over the past uh, 11 or 12 years. All right. So ever since you were a little kid, you know, in front of your dad's business, you ran a lemonade stand. And so basically while you were growing up, as you were like you know, 10, 15 in high school, were you still doing little entrepreneurial gigs as well? Definitely. Uh, I was probably one of the first eBay businesses uh, when eBay started. I was selling my um, aunt and uncle's Chotskis uh, on eBay. I said, yeah, we can sell those online. And then I'd take a percentage of the sale. Um, I even remember I, I did Boy Scouts growing up. I'm an Eagle Scout. Um, and so we went to the Boy Scout Jamboree and I went and bought patches from the trading stand. And then I would trade those with the people who were at the camp. And when I sold those on eBay, I ended up making about a thousand dollars. And so ever since then, I've just had this itch to to do the entrepreneurial thing, to run a business. Um, it's been modeled for me, honestly, but also something that I've had the desire to do. Got it. All right. So you're one of the early eBay pioneers. So that's cool to know. So uh, yeah. So, I mean, now, Victor, I wouldn't call myself a pioneer. Listen, I don't know how successful that business was. I'm not. I was never very good at the accounting side, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to figure out how to get people to purchase. No, but as long as it was enjoyable, you had some fun. You you learned some things. You probably made a few bucks, and it still it right. probably increased your appetite to continue being an entrepreneur. So you went into college. And then you decided to go into law school, um, which uh, you know, which is a big part of your uh, career. So you might talk a little bit about your law, you know, law school days and then working as an attorney. Yeah. So I went to uh, Belmont undergrad, Belmont University here in Nashville, Tennessee, and I did their music program, um, which is world renowned. They've, they've had some really incredible people come out of that music school and about my junior year, I started to see deals that these people were being offered and I knew something was wrong with them, but I didn't know how to tell them. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to figure out how to tell them what's wrong with these deals so that I can protect them and help them. Uh, and so 
I went to law school at Baylor University in Texas. And the day after graduation, I moved back to Nashville. Um, I had $1,500 in my pocket. I had a new wife. Uh, we had been married for just under a year. And so she was crazy with me. But we we made the move and we ended up uh, just making it work. I started my law firm. I hung my shingle right after I passed the bar exam, secured a New York Times bestselling author as a client within a few weeks. And then the rest is history. I'm, I made an effort to represent somebody across the board. So I wanted to represent an author. I wanted to represent an artist. I wanted to represent somebody in sports just across the entertainment spectrum. And I was able to do that. And I still have a boutique practice that I maintain um, because it keeps me sharp. But my main focus right now is leverage brands. Got it. All right. So leverage brands. Yeah. So basically, ever since you were an undergrad, you saw that these people that are, you know, had a well-renowned music board, realized some of these artists at concerts which were not serving them well. So you wanted to figure out a way to how to help. And that's one of the reasons why you went to law school, being university. And um, and afterwards, you know, you started securing clients. So you had your own boutique firm and you still do it as well to keep yourself sharp, but your focus is on leverage brands. So um, how long did you do your law practice before you created leverage brands? Uh, leverage brands started in 2018 and it was the author management company where I was the general counsel and actually chief marketing officer. If you can believe it, we talked about eBay. I've always had that marketing bug in me too. Um, so I was the general counsel and CMO that company folded and the COO of that company, David Loy and I started leverage brands in 2018. So we had been uh, working together since about 2012. Um, so about five years and now leverage has been around for about five years as well. Got it. All right. So talk a little bit more about now. So talk a little bit more about the, you know, the creative artists, the music industries, the writers, the artists, and what, you know, because you say you wanted to help, but you mentioned they have some problems with their deals. And I guess there's, there are a lot of deals that are not too favorable, favorable to them financially is what I'm guessing. So it's, you talk a little bit, and probably because they, they themselves, they don't know better. They don't have any agents or lawyers representing them. So sometimes they're probably getting bad deals at times. Am I correct? Yeah, and I think it it just depends on the the time frame that you look at, it's gotten better now because now the artists can find their market online by themselves. They don't need the label or distributor as much as they used to. But when I think about why I went in to help them, it's the same reason that I started Leverage Brands is because I believe that creative professionals bring to the world what the world needs, whether it's a song that touches your heart or whether it's a story that touches your heart through the written word. Um, these creative professionals are bringing something new into the world they're creating, right? And so my desire was to get the business side of that out of the way so that they could continue to create. And really, whether that's been at a law firm or whether it's been at Leverage Brands, we do the same thing. We take away the business minutiae so that they can focus on what they do best, whether it's speaking or writing or writing songs, whatever it is, we want to get that minutiae out of the way so that they can share their message because that's really what it's all about. And as an entrepreneur, and I know you know this, Victor, we see a need and we meet a need. That's how you find product market fit. Um, I was lucky because the the need that I saw and that I was able to fill is one that I was passionate about. I'm passionate about getting these messages out to as many people as possible. Um, and I love doing that on the law side. I love doing that on the leverage brand side so that these these creators can create and, and not have to worry about, well, how's it going to get to a million people online or how's it going to get to a million people on Spotify? 
Well, you create and let us worry about that side of things. And leverage hasn't worked so much on the music side, but on the legal side, we've connected them with, um, you know, the major labels that can get that distribution. So I think it's it's really just understanding why you're doing what you're doing um, and seeing if your passion can fit that product market um, so that you can you can do something you love and make a business out of it. And I've been lucky to do that in a couple of different iterations with the three companies that I've started. And that's awesome. And and you're right. Uh, you brought up the fact that you found the need, a problem that needed to be solved for these creative artists. So they need, they, instead of trying to wear several different hats and which can really overwhelm a lot of people, it's one reason why a lot of people, when they go into their own business fails, because they don't realize that when they were working a regular job, they were just doing one thing, one hat. But when they have their own business, they can wear four or five, six different hats. It can be overwhelming. So you, you said, you know what? We'll take care of the business end of everything. You guys just focus on creating your music, your art, your books. And, and that's what the smart people do. They just focus on what they're good at. They take care of it and they outsource everything. They hire you know, professors to take care of the other aspect, which they don't know that well. And it's much more. It's, that's not just saving you time, but if you're not good at the business side, why would you want to do it and possibly mess things up when you can hire a professional like yourself who could take care of things, make, things, make sure everything's taken care of. You have no worries about it. You can just focus on your books, your, your art, or your music. So definitely a great point. So one of the things you guys also talk about is branding. So talk about, I'd like to, you know, talk about a little, why is personal branding so important for these creative artists? Yeah, it's so interesting that, um, this phrase personal branding has really taken off over the 2000s really i mean if you look back at but i think when i was doing the research it was about 1997 when somebody came out with the the business of you or or you inc right and that's kind of what launched this idea of a personal brand but then social media came into the picture and it allowed you to reach out or people to reach out to you uh, and those people who are either creators or they're in a business where they have some notoriety in a community or in a region or in the world, really, they're more accessible than they have ever been. And so one of the things that I have just naturally fallen into is helping people not craft a personal brand, because I think those days are over. You are you are who you are. You can't portray an inauthentic person to the to the world anymore because the world can reach you right the world has access to you they have access to your best moments and they have access to your worst moments you think about tmz and, and paparazzi and all these things they see you at your worst and they see you at your best and so really we're pra we're practicing crafting that brand message so that your best and your worst has a clear th through line of why you're doing what you're doing. And a lot of times it comes down to passion. A lot of times it comes down to what you're good at. Um, and really these creators and these people who have these personal brands that you think of, they're wonderful pictures of entrepreneurship because they're building a business based on an idea, just like any of us are. Their idea just happens to be thought leadership. And so we're helping them craft that personal brand. And in doing so, we've, we've been able to help a lot of people get their message much, much further because it's clear because it's niche specific, it has that depth. And then through that depth, we we get the breadth of going to a broader market. But you got to start with the depth to penetrate deep into the niche that you're looking at. And then you go into the, the breadth. And I think it's important, not just for creative people, not just for authors and songwriters, but even entrepreneurs. I mean, if I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to build a business, what better way to do that than let people know who I am 
whether it's on a podcast with you or whether it's in a book. And we'll talk about that probably in a little bit, but um, you gotta, you gotta let people know who you are, who the authentic version of yourself is so that they can, you know, decide if they want to put their money with you. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And I like the way you just said that. Let people know who you are, be authentic, be the real you. Cause number one, it's just so much easier to be the real you. When you try to be someone else, it's, it, it, it takes a lot of, effort and, and you gotta you gotta remember you gotta try to act this way when you're yourself it's easy to act yourself and the the people you want they're gonna like you and the people that don't they're probably the people you don't want anyway so you only want to check the people that you want so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and i guess nowadays social media is good and bad with social media i guess things can you can get known so much more easy but as you mentioned they, they could also see the worst of you you're like 30, 40 years ago, you were able to hide certain things from your life, which you can't anymore. So people see the best of you and the worst of you, which is, you know, which is what you talked about. And you talked about also going into death and being niche specific, which I think is a very important point. Too often, I think people try to market to the entire world, which is yeah. a big mistake. And there's a saying, when you market to everyone, you wind up marketing to no one. You want to find those hungry buyers who want what you sell. So, you know, if, if I, if, if I have a steakhouse, I should not be marketing to vegetarians. They're not going to come. I, I got to find the people who love eating steak. So that's that's exactly what your point is. So, you know, you got to be very interested. Who is it that wants it? And when you do that, you're, you're going to get a lot more business. So, um, and uh, I guess social media is one way to, you know, probably quickly build up your brand. Are there any other ways, you know, a person can quickly build up their brand as well? Oh, there's a thousand ways you can do it. Um, I think one of the key memories that I have as the CMO of that previous company, we went on a retreat and we were sitting around a whiteboard and the thought exercise was think of every way that you can to make this brand better known. Think of every way that you can. Um, and, and I think we knew we were done when we had already gone through all the things you'd expect. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. YouTube, X or Twitter, whatever we're calling that these days. And you just keep going down the list and then you end up on skywriting. You're like, okay, we've exhausted the list. Skywriting is probably the last thing that we want to talk about. And it's probably not something that we're going to do, but you're limited only by your creativity, right? So you're in New York, Victor, you can think of a thousand ways in New York even to get your name out there. If you want to do entrepreneurs visiting Victor and you want to put it on a bus sign in New York, you can. If you want to put it on a bus, you can. If you want to put it on a subway sign, you can. There's a thousand ways to get your name out there. The question then becomes, what's the best way to get your name out there? Uh, I've been doing a deep dive on Warren Buffett here lately. And one of the things that he talks about, he says, why would, an, why would I invest in a hundred things when I have 10 great ideas? I would rather invest the most in those 10 great ideas. And I think he's getting to the Pareto principle, right? We all know it, the 80-20 rule. And what he's saying is, if I can identify what the 20 are, why would I even spend my time on the 80? You invest in the 20 and you continue to invest in the 20. And it's even fractional. You go from 20 down to four, right? You just keep going down uh, until you find the things that are going to work best. And that's what we've been able to do with the brands we work with. So um a great example, we work with Jerry Jenkins. He teaches writers how to write online. And so for a very long time, if you searched how to write a book, Jerry Jenkins was the top result on Google. And now some other folks have come in there. We got some uh, corporate people kind of jockeying for position with us, but he's still near the top. But for a long time, our best idea was SEO, search engine optimization, right? And so we said, we're going to pour all that we have into SEO. 
And now we're looking for that next best idea. What is the next thing to get Jerry in front of as many people as possible? But you build a base that way and then you leverage that base and you leverage that base. And that's, I guess, why we chose Leverage Brands as our name. We're going to keep testing and iterating until we find the best way to get you in front of as many people as possible. Yeah, leveraging is very important. I'm glad you brought up the 80-20 rule because uh, it tells you just focus on the things, the 20% that gets you the most results. Too often people try to do everything, but it applies to everything. You know, 80% of your business is probably going to come from 20% of your customer. 20, 80% of your best productivity is probably going to come from the top 20% of your employees. So it applies so, so much. And if people say, you know, take account of it, then you're going to focus on that 20% is going to get you the most that, uh, out of everything. And so, yeah, so in Warren Buffett, of course, we know how much he, you know, oh, you know $90, $100 billion. Yeah, fo- you know, focus on the 10 great ideas instead of 100 different ideas. So focus on that small percentage and, you know, Dig down, dig dig deeper. I definitely agree with you on that. Now you mentioned. Now, what are some mistakes people make when they're trying to brand? Like you mentioned before, some of them don't get niche specific. Are there other mistakes they make as well when they're trying to build their brand, and that people that are listening to this podcast should avoid doing or interested in branding themselves? Yeah, hundred percent. And and I would say this goes not just for your personal brand. This goes for your business. And so I, I will tell you mistakes I make, and then I'll tell you mistakes I've seen. Um, But I think it's better to point the fingers at myself first. So one of the things that I just am terrible at, and uh, Victor, you might find this out about me the longer we know each other. I am terrible at the shiny object syndrome. I don't know if you you run into this at all, but it's I'm going to start a podcast this week. And next week, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. Oh, I'm going to put the podcast and YouTube channel together. Oh, that's not working. I only have three subscribers. So I'm going to ditch that and move on to something else. But another thing that I've learned Um, from doing that deep dive on Warren Buffett is the value of compounding interest. It applies everywhere too. It's, it's a, it's a law (laughs) compounding interest. And so if you can just be consistent about your best ideas and give them the time to succeed, uh, that's, that's something that's going to really, really improve your chance of success, whether that's in your business or your personal brand. And so that's, that's an encouragement to all those entrepreneurs with shiny object syndrome like me. Um, The second thing that I see is you have so many great ideas that you don't do any of them. You just get paralyzed by the ability to generate ideas that have viability. Uh, And so there comes a point in your entrepreneurial journey, there comes a point in your personal brand journey where you just got to go. You just got to get off your keister, let's say that in in just a a gentle way, right? You got to get off your butt and you got to go forward. And so if you have three great ideas and you don't know which one to choose, it almost doesn't matter. Make a decision and make it right. That's what one of the authors that I've worked with has said. You make a decision and then you make it right. And you give it the chance to succeed that it needs. Uh, It's never going to be about a lack of ideas uh, in in an entrepreneurial journey or in a personal brand journey. We can generate those all day. Uh, My business partner came in today. He put five five ideas on the board for revenue generation. And one of the things that we do back and forth when we're when we're talking about these is he puts them on the board and I prioritize them or I put them on the board and he, he prioritizes them so that we can just be in agreement on how we're going to attack those ideas and give them just the time to succeed and get them out the door. And that's the last thing I'll say. A lot of us are great at getting to 90 percent done. And then perfection stops us or distraction stops us or something else stops us but you got to take it from that 90 to hundred percent ship the product ship the dang product out the door. 
um, with your personal brand, ship the blog, ship the tweet, whatever it is, you got to ship that thing out the door so that you have something out there for you. Um, that's working for you as an advertisement to bring people in. And I think that that's something that, you know, it, it it's either distraction or it's analysis paralysis, or you don't, you just don't get it out the door. Um, and so that's the encouragement in some cases, um, of course we want to be perfect, but in some cases, good is better than perfect and done is much better than perfect. Now you definitely bring up some good points there. Number one, I tell you, as an entrepreneur, you brought up a shiny object, shiny ball central. I did that. I, I, I would be in three or four business opportunities at once because they were all good. The problem was, um, and this tied in with number two, analysis paralysis. I didn't know which one to start working on at the beginning of the day. So uh, I would just tell you, especially those that are getting started, focus on one thing at a time. Uh, multitasking is a myth. It does not work. Uh, studies have been done. Um, you're far less productive doing multitasking. One, there are several reasons for it. Number one, when you go from one task to another without finishing the first one, you lose that momentum. And then you go to the second one, you go back to the first one, you got to regain the momentum. So you're doing all that, you lose a lot of momentum. And uh, so your, your brain cannot really do two tasks or three tasks at once. And I'm, I'm going to give you an example here. I'm going to count one to 10, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Very easy. Now uh, spell A to J, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. Very easy. Now if I go A, now I combine them, A1, A, B2, C3, D4. You notice I'm going much more slowly because I'm going be back and forth between the two. That's what happens when you multitask. You're going back and forth and it slows down. So it do That's not right. do it. Focus on one thing at a time. You're going to be, studies have shown it, you're a lot more productive. Yeah, so definitely the shiny object syndrome. And you mentioned compound interest and be consistent. Again, uh, we know the thing. What would you rather have? A million dollars or a penny doubled over 30 days? A lot of people, 90% would choose the million dollars because they know it's it's a lot of money and they, they they see a penny double it's two cents four cents eight cents it doesn't seem like a lot but at the end of the 30 days you actually have five million dollars so if you choose the million dollars you actually lose out on four million dollars but that's the power of compound interest consistency it will always beat intensity in the long run. The problem is when you're consistent in the beginning, it doesn't seem like you get a lot. But as you mentioned, it compounds over the long term. And as the weeks and the months go by, the results get bigger and bigger if you're consistent and don't give up. So, and if you're not consistent, you're going to lose out. In fact, that penny doubled. Um, that's $5 million after 30 days. If you double it every other day, you're less consistent. You only have $163.84. So you lose a lot by not being consistent. So definitely some good stuff. You mentioned analysis paralysis. You have all these great ideas. You just don't know which one to choose. Choose one. Get it done. Make it work. You know, work at it. And then, you know, once you get that going, if you want, you can go to the second grade. Area. But don't don't worry about which one it is. Just pick one. And you mentioned, you know, you know a lot of people stop at 90 percent done. Then they let either distraction or perfectionism and stop them or analysis paralysis. And, and everyone wants the perfect thing. Um, it's interesting you bring that up because of a book by James K called Atomic Habits. And he, and he uses this example of this photography class in the early 70s. They were broken up into two groups, quality group and a quantity group. The quality group only had to do one picture for the semester and had to be perfect. The other group was just the more pictures they took, the better grades they would get. They'll get a 70 for a, a 70 picture, I think a C, 80, B, 98. 
So the guy thought that the quality group would do better, but actually it was the quantity group that had the much better pictures. Why? Because they worked at perfecting their pictures, getting better. They spent more time in the darkroom. They learned what they did right and did, did wrong. The other people, you know what? They procrastinated. And then at the end, most of them gave, uh, submitted mediocre pictures. Why? Because they, they are, that's what happens when you want perfection instead of just working on it and getting things done. The quantity group did so much better. So once you get, when you get working on it, your results, your your power will come much better. And you know what? Even if it's not perfect, you know, you get a, well, in a minute, we're going to talk about books. You get a book that's not perfect, guess what? You can have a second edition come out next year. So definitely some really good stuff. So uh, thanks for that. So next, I want to ask you, you know, um, you, you were talking about books. So uh, if someone wants to be an author, what should they focus on most? Uh, the book writing or the brand building or a combo of the two? Yeah, and a lot of business owners want to be book writers. I never did, by the way, uh, but there's my book right there. Every step counts. Just if you want to check it out, it's about book marketing for authors. Um, but for me, I think that one of the things that I found out even in writing my own book is that you have to focus a majority of your time on the writing. You wouldn't think that that would be the case, but you have to, or you will never get it done. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of a backstory here. When we wanted to write this book, um, it was really forced upon us because our client, Jerry, like I mentioned him a little earlier in this conversation, but he was asked to write a creative writing program for uh, a university. And they <laughs> they asked us to help because, you know, we, we know his material better than anybody. And so we will help Jerry compile that and, and ship it out the door. But one of the things that we wanted to add to it was a book marketing class. And we didn't find a book we loved on it. I mean, we had been doing it for about 12 years at that point as well, or I guess 11 years because it was last year. But I, I went to my business partner. I said, listen, we have to write a 40,000 word book and we have to do it by September. I think I went to him in June. And so we had to sit down, sit in the chair and write the book. Um, and it's only now that we're even able to focus on that marketing side. Uh, but his advice and our advice, too, is, it, again, 80-20. 80% of this time is going to be spent for writing. 20% of that time is going to be spent um, in marketing the book and, and doing that activity. Um, and it's really chunk time. Victor, we talked about that, too. You got You can't multitask those things. You can't have Facebook up while you're writing. And you can't have your manuscript up while you're trying to build your Facebook presence. You know, you got you to gotta shift between the two in chunk time. Um, but you do have to spend a lot of time writing the book. And then you can spend the time marketing it. Uh, if you think about a typical five-day work week, that would be four days writing and one day on the marketing if you're doing it, you know, an eight-hour day. So that's the way that we like to think about it. Um, and you can accomplish more than you think in that eight hours. Yeah, it's really how you manage your time. You mentioned the, ch the chunk time or the deep work, you know, that focus time where it's two hours, four hours. I mean, if you really have that chunk time where you just focus on that one activity, you can get so much more done. It's amazing how much we waste time because we're distracted. Like you said, we're looking at Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and all that stuff or YouTube or all these other things. They let distract us. You know, the most successful people like uh, – executives for example they'll tell their assistants i have this important meeting for the next two hours do not bother me i'm going to be working on this report for three hours i want no falls because they know they need those three hours to focus on those things and that's what every successful person every entrepreneur that's successful does they get that chunk time that's why you guys had this book you needed to get on three months you had that chunk time you focus on it and you got it out within three months. Most people say that's impossible. It seems like a lot, but if you manage your time better, you break it into the chunks, you know, you can definitely get it done. So definitely that was some really good stuff there. And so now 
um, you mentioned like you act, you know, you, for the artist, you're the, you're the business end of things. So um, how does a person go about building their own team that could take care of those things for them so they can focus on the things that they're good at? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've seen people do it in a lot of different ways. And I've seen a lot of people fail at it, to be honest. Um, and sometimes it takes a lot of swings. I, the the advice that I heard early on in my career was hire slow and fire fast. Uh, I don't know if you've heard that advice too, Victor, but if you hire slowly so that you really know the person that you're bringing on and then you fire quickly, as soon as you know that something's a little bit off, um, you'll be able to move faster. And it, it sounds callous. Um, the way that a, a business owner who I'm close with here in town, he's, he always talks about promoting to the industry. You're not firing them. You're promoting them to the industry so that they can find the right fit for themselves. Uh, but you really, you really do have to get to know the person and it's not necessarily for their competency. It's for their passion, for what you're doing, uh, the passion for the message. And for us, that's always been a core of what we've done because we are passionate about helping brands, we want other people who are passionate about helping brands. And so when we bring somebody onto our team, um, we usually start with an internship that they can learn everything they need to learn on that internship from a job function standpoint. But what they can't learn is just having that innate desire to want these messages that are worthwhile to get out into the market. Uh, and we have to identify that quickly. And the way that we do that is through our internship program. So we bring on an intern, they work on the brand. And if if we see that they're not adamant about helping these brands expand beyond where they're at, um, then we move on. If they don't have competency, we might still keep them on and train them as long as they have that other piece. Because you can train for the competency. You can't train for the passion for what you're doing. Uh, and, and that's what you have to find, especially these smaller teams for artists. Uh, you're talking one or two people, right? You make one bad hire and you're, you're host. And so they have to be intentional about somebody who's passionate, a champion of the brand. Uh, and then once they find that champion, the other team can fall into place because that person knows what to look for. Uh, but you got you to be so, so specific uh, in what you're looking for in, in that personality even. Um, so, yeah, I, I could go on because I, I hear stories all the time about they got to be a good hang or they have to, you know, they have to be somebody you can have a beer with or whatever it is. And and that's all fine too. Um, but you got to have that cultural piece fit firmly in place before you, even more than the competency piece, especially on these smaller teams that these artists have. Definitely. I like the part about the cultural piece and you can train them for the competency. They don't fully have it, but you can't train for the passion. So hire slow, look for someone who's got the passion for what you're doing and for your message and fire fast. So, you know, someone's a bad fit. You can let them go and you're promoting them to the industry for themselves so they can showcase their talents. And you're right. A bad hire can definitely mess things up. Once the person who's, in, you know, especially if the person's really negative and just brings yeah. people down, they can just mesh, definitely mess up with the team spirit. You see that in sports. Well, an athlete can be really talented, but he's a cancer on the team. And when they trade him, they may get less in value, but they play better because the people that are coming, they're team members, they're more positive. So yeah, a, a bad hire could definitely mess things up. Uh, definitely some really good stuff here. Now, as we're coming toward the end of our uh, interview, do you have any last minute pieces of advice for our listeners in the audience? Yeah. I just think the thing that I love to tell entrepreneurs is persist. Like you got into this for a reason. You, you have a passion. You have something that the world needs. 
And so please, and this is how I end my book too, by the way, persist, because it's not going to look like progress initially, right? Um, when I think of a growth curve, I think everybody wants to look at the hockey stick, but that's not what it looks like. It's peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys up. And you have to, you have to stick through the valley to get to the next peak. And that's what I would encourage you guys to do is just persist, stay with it, persevere. Um, and then if there's anything that I can do, I would love to talk to you guys. Um, I told Victor and I'd love to tell you guys too, I've opened my calendar to talk to people. I'm trying to just get to know people more and, and, I want to talk to you. So if there's something that you feel like from this interview, you'd like to ask me about, feel free to reach out. And Victor, feel free to share my email in the show notes too. It's just chase at leveragebrands.co. Um, I, I want to talk to you guys because I want to help. There's There are worthy messages. There are innovative companies that need to reach as many people as possible. And if there's a way that I can help you in that journey, I'd love to do it. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Persist. Don't give up. Um, you know, it's not a straight line. You're going to have peaks and valleys and you have some stuff to go through the valleys to get to the peaks. So anyway, Chase, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It was a real pleasure. You shared a lot of great wisdom, a lot of great pieces of advice. So, uh, you know, definitely I learned a lot. I'm sure the people listening learned a lot. And again, um, you mentioned your your contact name. Again, for people who want to reach out to you, want to contact you, what is the best way to do it again? Can you give that uh, email or website again? That's right. Just email me. It's chase, C-H-A-S-E, at leveragebrands.co. Awesome. Not dot com, dot co. Dot co. Awesome. Thanks again, Chase. I really appreciate it. Have yourself a great day. You too, Victor. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.